welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about... Before we do that, you want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And we have the unique opportunity to talk about a sweet game also that I worked on. <laughs> because today we're talking about Astraea, Six-Sided Oracles, which I've been talking about for weeks on end. Uh, because we announced months. the release date. Months, yeah, to be yeah. honest. Um, we announced the release date. The release date came out. It's now in the wild. It's kind of blowing up on, you know, on Steam, which which I'm pretty happy about. We've had about a thousand concurrent users for the whole weekend, uh, which is pretty great. Which is which is pretty pretty pog champ, <laughs> as they say. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, just to get yeah. these disclosures out ahead of time, you are head of marketing for the publisher of. Of Estrella. That is correct. Um, yeah, I'm head of marketing for Aquapora Games. We published Estrella. Uh, I played Estrella, and I immediately wanted to publish it. I mean, I could talk about, I guess, like, the story of that at some point in the not-too-distant future, uh, in the podcast or whatever. But, yes, so I, for, for disclosure purposes, I do materially benefit from <laughs> promoting my own game. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and not that I benefit in any way, shape, or form, but I do technically have a testing credit on it. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I should probably say that too, but we're going to talk about the gameplay cause it's a really fun game. Um, before I, before any of that, I like fell in love with it at PAX East when you let, you know, you guys had the booth set up. It was fantastic. Love the art style. Love the game. Um, uh, it's funny going back cause, um, at some point the update wiped all my save progress. Yep. Um, and I just yeah. kind of like flew through uh rebeating everything it took me like a handful of attempts the first time on like a lot of the characters but like this time it was like oh yep one and done for all of them and then uh i won and done uh, uh on solarius the uh 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 the the last the boss? The, i the, i'm trying to avoid spoilers um okay fair enough yeah, yeah sure um i guess mild spoiler warning I, I don't know if it's like a huge spoiler but like you know um, there is a secret in Australia. Um, yeah, a se- like the worst kept secret of all time. At the end of every run, you see, you know, more and more unlocking this secret. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so, um, you want to lead the conversation? What, uh, what do you want to uh, You about? know, yeah, I guess I, it's funny because we also did one of these for Zoetti and I think of these as two, um, really interesting counterpoints to one another um i obviously love both games um and i have a lot about zoetti that i think is uh that i think is great but i think zoetti and Estrella are kind of two uh mirrors in a way because so my overall pitch for the difference between zoetti and Estrella in zoetti you have three characters not six and you have really a handful of ways to build them, not too many, right? Um, But the encounters are really varied, right? You have a longer run. The run is six instead of three sort of um, paths, right? Um, And the the power that you gain over the course of Zoeti is truly monumental, right? When when you end a game of Zoeti, like, I just, I feel like a level 20, you know, it feels like going from level one to level 20 in a, in a D&D. 
or something along those kinds of lines, right? And that feels really great, right? So it's kind of, it's length and it's very enemy focused. Astraea is sort of the opposite. Astraea, you have six characters, all of whom can be built in pretty wildly different ways. Most characters will have kind of like, I want to say like three to five sort of viable quote unquote builds, right? Um, in order to in order to make them work, um, but the but it's the enemies who are kind of more or less the same, right? You know, there are three levels, um, uh, you know, that you that you move through, all of whom have one of two bosses. Um, the the enemies that you fight, kind of up to that, it's like one of two or one of three guys, sort of thing. You end up sort of fighting the same enemies, kind of over and over again, um, but. The but like the the fun is in approaching the same problem with a radically different skill set, right? So Zoetti is kind of you you have the same skill set every time, but you're fighting pretty different enemies, and you have to figure you have to figure that out. Um, Zo er, Astrea is you're fighting the same enemies, but your skill set is pretty is pretty different and pretty unique. And I just think all of that is is part of what makes them interesting kind of companion pieces for one another, and like the design inherent in them is is kind of interesting. But I don't know. We talked about Zoe a couple of months ago. I wanted to start off with that comparison just because it is the neatest bridge, I guess. Yeah. No. I mean. I, I think I would largely agree with that. The other thing I will point out is that, like, Zoetti has less, like, in addition to having, like, less skill pass, it also has, like, less inherent variability because um, its mechanics function to kind of narrow down what you can do, right? Like, you're, you're, like, you're using standard playing cards, you're, you're looking to assemble hands, and you're looking to mm -hmm. do that in a variety of ways. Whereas, like, in... Australia, you have a pool of dice, and those dice can come up as one of any of the six of their sizes, sides, right? So, like, um, whereas, like, Zoetti's kind of about, like, pushing the design space toward, like, pushing your um, fight space towards, like, a smaller set of things. Um, uh, uh, Australia kind of, like, branches out faster, if that makes sense. Is what I'm saying making any sense at all? Like, yeah, I guess I, I so I do I do think I agree with that. Um, and Australia also has some some interesting stuff because the dice themselves sort of have this reactivity towards one another, right? Um, which is to say that like <clears throat> in something like magic, you have lethal you have the opportunity for lethal puzzles, right? Um, because the order of operations that things play out is actually pretty crucial, right? Um, with Astraea, you have a similar sort of reactivity where your dice are synergizing with one another in a really kind of high way. Whereas with Zoetti, I feel like the, your, your hands, your cards are less synergistic and it is, it is more about kind of assembling kind of power turns in a way. Um, it is about like loading yourself up to put yourself in a place to have just like a really explosive kind of pop off moment. Yeah. No. Um. And yeah, there's a little bit more hand formation too, because um, you know, you can keep some of like you you can keep some of your cards in somebody, right? Yeah. Um, so you keep some of your cards, and you can also see some of the cards that you're going to draw. So you're you're doing this thing of how do I kind of maximize? And really, what I'm describing is like. Uh, Zoetti, I feel like it's about maximizing turn over turn, right? Astraea, I feel like every turn is kind of a blank slate, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Every turn is kind of its own lethal puzzle that you're figuring out, and you're trying to get as close to lethal as possible. Whereas Zoetti, I'm thinking a lot about the future, right? And how I'm approaching future turns, basically. Um, which I think is neat. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that largely. Um, yeah. Uh, so do we want to do like a basic rundown for people who haven't, haven't played yeah, I Yeah, sure. We can talk about some of the mechanics. So the idea is that Zoe, or I'm sorry, Astrea, um, from A to Z, okay? Um, the, the idea is that uh, Astrea is a deck builder, is a roguelike deck builder, but you're not building a deck of cards, you're building a deck of dice, right? Um, your di Each die has six faces. When you draw a die, you roll it, um, and that face, you know, whatever whatever face you roll is the, is the opportunity that you have inside of that turn. Um, it's what you can do in your, in your turn, basically. Um, there are three types of, I'm sorry, four type, five types of dice, right? So there are starter dice, which are the weakest and simplest of dice. Um, there are safe dice that have no bad faces. There are balanced dice that have, uh, mostly good faces, like three or f like four kind of good faces, three good faces, three bad faces kind of thing. And then risky dice, which pretty much universally have, um, <clears throat> Uh, two really good faces and four really bad faces, right? Um, but there's this dynamic where safe dice are weak and risky dice are powerful. So, for instance, you might have purify one or two, which is kind of like damage, right? Um, in your uh, on a safe die, but you might have purify twelve on a risky die. Um, and there's this there's this kind of like interconnectivity between like I don't even know. How to, how to, it's so complicated to describe this, I guess. It's this thing of, like, you need power because if you take only safe dice, you typically will lose. You will not have enough power to win the game, right? Um, you need to take some risky dice in order to have real oomph in your, in your deck, right? You have to, have to have real kind of, like, value. It's kind of like if you made a Magic the Gathering deck out of all one drops. That's sort of what making a deck out of all safe dice does, right? Um, but if you take too many risky dice, then what happens is you, you just keep rolling really bad faces and you get underwater when it comes to the negative kind of counter effect. Right. Um, and you end up in a place where you're just in a losing position and there's nothing you can do to get out of it and to win. Yeah. Uh, you, you failed to mention the fifth type, which is epic dice, which are like oh, all right. pretty good faces. Like I don't uh, something I noticed is that the epic dice faces tend not to be as good as like the risky dice faces, but there mm. are no bad faces on them. Um, say like starter dice, like you say, call starter dice weak, but they're actually, I think they're kind of like between like a safe die and a balanced die because they all have like one bad face and like m some moderate power in, in them. Um, like really, I think I would say every, I would say, I think mean, like I would say every starter die is worse than a safe die. I think I would rather have safe dice than starter dice. Um, that might depend specifically. I, you know, I wonder the if the neutral I'm, starter I, dice might be, might be worse. I'm uh I'm honestly just gonna load up the game. I think I'm there is maybe I'm I'm vaguely remembering that there are strictly better safe dice than starter dice of the same type. So I'm thinking with like Solarius, he has Shark Strike, right? Does a little bit of corruption to you, does a little bit of damage. I'm pretty sure Shark Strike that is like safe Shark Strike is does there, see, more. This is what I was thinking I I don't think there's a or at least I I don't recall seeing a safe Shark Shark Strike die. Um. Just because. Okay. Uh, there. Yeah. So the the safe die, or I'm sorry, the starter die is shark blow. 
It scales from two to five, um, purify to an enemy, with one to three, corrupt yourself. And then shark strike, the safe shark strike, is three to five, purify to an enemy, and one to two, corrupt yourself. So that one, at least, is pretty strictly better um, than its safe counterpart. Um, Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I I, I hadn't picked up on that then. Um, yeah, but I do see I, I do see a little bit of what you mean when it comes to when it comes to sort of um, safe dice and uh, starter dice because one of the thing one of the things about starter dice um, is that a lot of the starter dice are like two purify two shield which is actually like pretty insane right getting that's like that's a four you know that that prevents four damage essentially um or it deals to prevents to you know like you have a lot of options when it comes to that kind of thing um and that's really useful i guess we're also talking about i want to explain i guess like the the core the dual damage system yeah so there's two types of you know you can do you can do really essentially two things you can purify and you can corrupt purification heals you and deals damage to your enemies. Your enemies are pretty universally in the lore of the game, these corrupted figures um, who need to be purified. Corruption damages you and heals your opponents, right? Um, it also increases something called their overcorruption meter. We can talk about that, um, which just, you know, is a is like an extra action that they can trigger um, when they when they get too much, when they, when they suck up too much kind of corruption, right? Um, there's obviously a gazillion more mechanics than that. The number of keywords in this game is truly staggering. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the only other thing I wanted to say about, you, you mentioned that risky dice are, are like two, two and four. That's typically the case, but there are, I think both risky and balanced dice for like the face itself has a dual nature to it. And like, like it has a, uh, a, a, a good thing and a, and a drawback on it. And sometimes the, like, you know, like, um, like the shark cleave, I forget what the title is, but like the shark strike that the cleave one is a risky die. It's like four to all enemies, four purified to all enemies, and like five or six to, you know, it's like four to six purified all enemies, five to seven-ish um, corruption to you. Uh, so that that's, is also a flavor of... Uh, of risky die, which is you know just like- yeah, and then one last thing is your health is represented by you know like these kind of like pips of corruption where you know you start fully purified, but as you corrupt yourself, um, you lose you know you lose the piece of these. You essentially have six health, right? Um, but as you take that corruption damage, you unlock what are called virtues, which are extra actions. So if I take damage, I can pop up a virtue and then use it for a particular you know. Uh, to some particular end. Well, you you have seven corruption, right? Because you can take six, and then you take one more, and it kills the heart. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, true. Yeah, you can take you can take all the way to six, but if you lose your last one, then you lose a health, right? That's like being at one HP. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, although technically, let me think. Yeah, yeah, it is it is seven because like, it, so you also have three hearts, um, with some exceptions, um, and so when you empty your your purification meter or corruption meter is what it's called, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you empty the cor- cor- when when your corruption meter is emptied of pure purity, um, you will lose a heart. And if you if you're on your uh, if you don't have any hearts left, you you die and you lose you become you become corrupted and you lose the run. Um. Uh. But yeah, th- that's 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 all of the 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 basic uh, 
uh, mechanics. Uh, Lou in the chest is the truest good face of Australia is Mooney. What a cutie. Uh, you are wrong. <laughs> uh, Solarius is the best. Uh, I will brook no, uh, no other argument. Shark Boy. Man, I don't, do I know? So do I think? I think maybe I think Havelius is my favorite character. It's complicated. Yeah, I don't Havelius know. is good. Or actually, so so let's let's uh, let's say, who is your favorite character to play as? Uh, you know, it might there. It's complicated. There are some builds that I just think are so incredibly fun. Uh, I love hex builds. Moonbath, Moonlight on uh, on Mooney is just like maybe one of the most fun builds to ever do. Um, I don't know. Anchor. Have you done the anchor? Maybe it's called anchor judgment. Anchor. Anchor purification or something like that. It's the one that scales. So every time you kill an enemy with this, it gets three more purification. So it starts at it deals three, and then it deals and then deals six, and then it deals deal nine. Have you ever done that one? No, because I uh, I unlocked it on on my last run. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So that that build on uh, on Solarius is insanely fun. Uh, Vendetta on Solarius is super fun. Have you ever done the Vendetta build? Vendetta is, is how I is how I uh, finished my last. It's like, you know, like <laughs> okay, yeah. constant like hurting uh, myself and like you know building it up is so good. Yeah, there are there are just like and and that's kind of true of everybody. Like there are so many builds that I like for so many characters that are just really fun to play. That's fair. I think maybe the my my favorite character to play if i aggregate all of the builds is probably Havelius because Havelius has the recycle build which is super fun he has you know <laughs> me and the boys which is the belt where you just buff your sentinels and they're just like absolute giga chad monsters right um you have the um you have charged body which i have i have always loved the charged body version of uh of playing Havelius, where you're just like stacking light shield and then using like shield blow to deal damage equal to your light shield all of that kind of stuff i just feel like Havelius probably has the maximum number you have a uh, vorpal plate which is insanely cool but also just like so deeply fucked up and risky and hard to pull off. Um, all of those are just like so fun, and I and I I love playing all of those versions of uh, of Hevelius. And I don't know that there's any other character who I'm like every single build that I can play on you is is fun. Even if like I probably have more fun playing. Um, God, I played a version of Solarius on the launch stream that was super fun. It was, you start with Empower 3, but you only have one heart. Um, and so it was just like a, a deep Empower Reef Song like build. Like that was just like insanely, insanely crazy. I probably like Moonlight more. Um, I've done this, uh, The my favorite Ostra build is the um, Chaos Dice, where you get the Chaos Dice to be Epic Dice, and you're just like constantly rolling Epic Dice or whatever. Like all that stuff I think is just like... Insanely yeah, cool. I would say like uh, Ostra's probably my least favorite, just because like the the chaos dice are the ones that that are like like to have a chance to do purify chance to do corruption. That is so different than all the other mechanics, which like you always know what it's gonna do. That it like it like it is, it is not my my favorite to do, but it's still you know it's not it's not like but yeah. Like, so technically, the one that's fifty fifty is confuse right? right where it okay. could be yeah yeah. Um, but the thing that I'm talking about is uh, every time you draw a chaos die, it has 25% chance of being an epic die. Right, okay. um, but you can get favorable wins, which is like a buff. You get a ton of this buff. And uh, if you max out on favorable wins, every time you draw a chaos die, you get an epic die. And there's a couple of things that kind of like support this build, but that is probably my favorite. Uh, that's probably my, my favorite build of um, of Ostra. Maybe Ostra is my least favorite as well. I think Sothis is probably my least favorite. Really, 
I like chanting, and I've had a good time with chanting. Um, but really, my favorite Sothis build is just like the like nuke, the affliction nuke build. Do you know this? Where like, um, there's a couple there's a couple of things that key off of affliction that you have. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I ran that on him. Yes, I, I, I like that build. As yeah. Well. Uh, you know, I'm actually also sort of lying. There's another build on Ostra that I really love, which is uh, Sky Piercer, which is. Um, you, it's a buff you give yourself, and when you use Meteor Rain, you just, like, blast everyone with Purification, and Meteor Rain is, like, Meteor Rain is, like, the the corrupt version of Thunderstorm, right? right it deals yeah. one corruption a number of different times. Um, but Skypiercer says every time you use Meteor Rain, each hit of Meteor Rain hits your enemies for a certain amount, and so you just stack up a bunch of Skypiercer, and then you just Meteor Rain, and it does, like, a gazillion damage. Like, that's, like, super fun. A lot of a lot of what I think are, like, really fun builds in Estrella are these, like, builder-spender kind of things, right? Um, where it is about, um, you know, building up a certain, a certain kind of buff um, or a certain synergy, and then, you know, by turn three or four, you're in, like, a really powerful place, and you're just, like, going insane. Yeah, no, I... I, I definitely, like, um, this hilarious build that I played with Vendetta was, like, I, like, duplicated the, like, the risky die that, like, does, like, you know, disinfect by power times, you know, the f number on the die. Um, dice. So, like, I had, like, I had, like, three or four of the risky version of that in the deck, and so it's, like, <laughs> end of turn one, this four shark does 64 damage. <laughs> um, it's just, like, so much fun. Oh um, my god, that is actually insane. That, But that is super risky, because with Vendetta, every time, it increases the amount of corruption you take. Well, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's only one Vendetta, right? It's one Vendetta from the Relic, but right. the shark... But and when, then... But, but it stacks So, the when the shark thing... Okay, yeah, so the shark thing doesn't stack with tor with the, like, the Torment effect? What am, I, am I misunderstanding what you're talking about? There's one... He has one die that is deal four corruption you know like or something like that right like deal one corruption four times not affected by doom right is this oh, what you're yeah, about? no 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 i'm talking about okay. so so basically my, my build for this was effectively um some shark strike dice um and then the there is a die that has like a picture of a shark on it with a number like the the nose of the shark and what it work what it, the way it works is it does like Oh, X, it does X, extra per yeah. Eridanian wrath is the name of that. Oh yeah, the name yeah, of that die. Yeah, 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 I know exactly. And it and it has the visual effect of the shark coming up and biting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like four like, but like, when I was fighting like some of the bosses, like some of the bosses, um, like I I mirrored Solarius in my uh, in my post uh, in in uh in the uh, oh in this in yeah in spoiler land I guess yeah, in, in, in spoiler in, land, but like. Mirror Solaris gives you, like, a, a three corruption debuff. And so mm -hmm. I would literally... And, like, I just had, like, so many... So much nonsense, right? Like, I had, like, Rising Star, and I had, like, another thing that gave me an extra purify. And so I would, like... Um, and if I didn't have... I, I picked up a ring that did, like, extra purify to them, but less purify to me. If I didn't have that, I'd be able to infinite chain this, I think. But I would, like, do... Use three corruption to myself... And then the two purify to myself to heal it back. And, um, and, or no, I would do the purify first, and then I'd do the corruption, which would reset both of them. And so I could, like, stack, like, empowers on myself, like, a ton. It was so much fun. Uh, like, I think I took down, I think I took down the, uh, the final thing in, like, two or three turns. I got, like, play 20 virtues in a turn achievement 
all, all <laughs> yeah that's awesome that is that is super cool yeah and then uh i don't know yeah I, I i don't know i think i think it might be it might be my favorite build to do that vendetta build it's just like so fun it's also very risky is the part that yeah because you're also hidden from the enemy like you can't see their shit because we're, t- we're both talking about the black hole blessing where you get vendetta one just instantly yeah, right yeah. um and you can do, you just like build your whole character around that um and so I don't know. the thing I like about going hidden is you just like stack hidden, right? Like I got like the the extra draw that applies more hidden, and I got the false idol. It's like why why the fuck do I care, <laughs> right? Like oh my god, yeah, false prophecy, holy shit, yeah. And did you say did you actually get the falling star? Yes. Yeah. Oh the, my god. And I got the falling star before a normal fight. I have made the mistake of picking up the falling star before a boss fight, and that was that's rough. Um. Wow. Yeah, so the Falling Star, these are events, right? (laughs) Those are, I'm pretty sure these are the most rare events. Um, Falling Star is a rare event, and then the other one is a rare event, the the False Prophecy, where they get Infinity Hidden. Uh, That's also a rare event. Um, So... You know what? Good on you, bud. Way to way to <laughs> way to roll it. I also got Falling Star on my uh, on my crazy Empower run where I just started with Empower three or whatever. Um, and uh, and I remember I was I was in there and I was in the Twitch chat and uh, and the chat was just like, "Take it, you have to do it, buddy." And I was like, "Okay," but <laughs> and I won, which was which was good. I mean, one of my things is I always go for the like. Like the risk, do you yep. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, and I think part of that is maybe just like a me thing. I've talked with other players, and you can tell me if you're you're different than this. I take every opportunity for power because to me, I would rather sort of flame out on a hard fight than feel impotent on like the final boss. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I I don't think I've ever chosen the normal fight when you have the chance between the normal fight and the hard fight. Um, I do, you know, it's funny. I do think it's right. You know, when you get up there in difficulty and like anomaly or whatever, I think it's correct to do that. Uh, but I fucking never do. I never want to. I just fucking refuse, basically. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, there's a lot of times where I will, um, uh, I will just go for these really, these really deep, really powerful sorts of builds where I'm trying to make the most. Um, I'm trying to make, like, the strongest possible thing. So, really, like, the hardest fight for me tends to be, like, the hard fight on the second map, right? Because this is typically before my build has gotten running, um, but after, but, like, you know, I'm I'm still opting into, a like, a really difficult fight. Like, there's the fight that's, like, the three corrupted Moonies. Do you know this one? One yeah. of them stuns, one of them silences, one of them paralyzes or whatever that is i think my run killer that's the that's the i very rarely die to a boss i very rarely die in the back half because by then i'm typically set up i have my build and i'm just cruising right um when i get into sort of like the back part of the game really what what tends to kill me is i take all these black hole blessings and you know these really hard fights or whatever before i'm kind of up and running and if i roll into that fight it's just like gg <laughs> Sometimes. So, so the run killers for me are the guy with the the lance and the boss the so the guy with the lance that like gains doom if you reroll, and yeah. mm-hmm. the uh, boss that gains doom if you use virtues um, oh my god! Yep. Just because the, like the... it's it's one of those things where like 
the, like I do a lot of like, oh, I will mitigate the risk on my dice by being able to re-roll them and like spend virtues around them, right? Like, you know, like, but that's hilarious for It's like, I spend my virtues to like get my health back up after I've damaged myself. It's like, ooh, but I'm powering up someone with the, uh, with the thing. Yeah, I also think those are both very dangerous because Solarius is the worst about Doom. He, I, I think Solar Doom on Solarius is so catastrophically bad. Doom on other characters can sometimes be kind of nothing. Like, Mooney has a Doom build where you just stack a bunch of Doom and you use it to convert and then you just, like, blast for a gazillion, right? Um, but Solarius has this thing that is tough to work around where, uh, you know, like... Any of the, if you pick up two Doom in a fight, all of those Shark Strike, like basic Shark Strikes, are catastrophically bad to take. Because, like, now it's, it's not you're doing, it's not, oh, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking two to deal five. Now it's I'm taking five to deal five. And it's like, that's like a really bad proposition. It is way worse to be, to be kind of like taking that in on yourself. Uh, but then there are other characters who I just, I take Doom on no sweat because it's like, I, it never matters, right? Sothis, you know, like if I'm going this affliction build on Sothis um, or like chanting on Sothis, I'm very rarely, I like even, he doesn't even really get too many corrupt faces so the doom basically never matters right it'll be like once or twice over the course of the entire run that i roll a pretty bad corrupt face and it's like okay well i have to take six now and like you know that that's something i can like pretty easily deal with yep no i i i feel that um the other one that sometimes kills me and i think this might be in the third run is the is the uh the shark guy that is just like you have to just like wait for you know last four turns Oh, but yeah, but you have to blast him for, you know, however much, yeah. because every time, he starts with like 30 Doom, 26 on the base level, right? Um, and every time he takes Purification, that Doom decreases, but it resets at the beginning of the turn, right? He has infinite health, right? Yeah, I absolutely get that. He takes a heart from me a lot of the times. Generally speaking, I can get their turn two, right? But it is the setup turn of turn one, where there are times it's just like, I don't have 26, you know, like, yeah, my build know. is built around putting a bunch of hex dice in my in my pool b putting on a bunch of moonlight and then but you know turning every hex die into an area for purification and that takes like two or three turns to set up kind of thing and uh yeah if you can't do 26 doom in one oof woof though yeah. I, it's funny i did <laughs> i do remember in the launch stream i was playing austra against that guy and i didn't have um i didn't have the ability to uh I just couldn't do it on turn one, and, uh, and then I dodged it. I dodged the corruption. Just, just dodge. <laughs> you know, that. I kept saying that over the course of the stream, where it was just like uh, people were asking for like advice. You know, people were kind of playing along or whatever. My advice was always just roll good. You know, like that's the that's the way to to beat Estrella, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like stuff like that. You just can't work around it. Um, here's a here's a weird question for you. Uh, this is this is very specific and in the weeds. Um, sure. Solarius used to have a relic that would trigger wave if their health equaled wave, and I haven't found it yet. Have you maxed him out? No. It might, it might unlock later in, okay. in his. Okay. I would say like yeah. they, they might have like put it down the line because it was like that was like my jam was like because you know, it's also like I love the wave build, but wave is also like. Wave is hard to do because, like, it, it's like a, I think a less good build without that because um, any single enemy fight wave is kind of 
useless. Um, like that's very limited. I think yeah. So I also like the wave build, but the wave build I think only opens up when you unlock title stream or whatever the forceful stream thing, which is the thing where it hits you for two at the end of the turn and you deal a certain amount of of purification, but you also trigger it deals damage equal to their wave or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the only way that I think you can translate the wave build on. Um, you know, like in the first like two or three levels of Solarius, um, you it is it is tough to go there. The other one that I've done uh, that I that I do enjoy um, is the one where when something dies with wave on it, its wave transfers to the next to the next target. Um, that one can also sort of make things work, but yeah, yeah, I, it doesn't really work for a single, um, but you know, for like single enemies. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, the thing that is most disappointing to me about that one, because um, I love that one too, is that like it doesn't. It doesn't chain within a turn, right? Like it's not like you know if, like, if you trigger it and it jumps and then, like the wave would kill that one. It doesn't also jump to like the the next guy, which uh, it's like no, oh, but I set up this big domino pile. I wanted to go, <laughs> please. Yeah, you know I. But yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do. I do understand the sort of. Uh, there's some stuff like that that doesn't work in the way that it might in kind of like other games. Like one of the things that's interesting about Astraea is that damage and healing happen simultaneously and they cancel each other out, right? Um, one thing that you would sort of expect from a game like this is uh, one triggers first and then the other. Like if we were playing Magic, right? Let's say I, I, we're playing Magic the Gathering and I have a, a spell effect, right, that says deal 100 damage, but then I have another spell effect that says gain 100 life, right? As soon as the deal 100 damage one goes off, I die. Right, um, but Astrea because it's a computer, you know, like because it's a computer, right? You can you can resolve these things essentially simultaneously. So if I have corruption and relief, or I'm sorry, affliction and relief, where you know one of those is deal a certain amount of purification at the end of the turn, the other is deal a certain amount of corruption at the end of the turn. Um, I can have 35 affliction, but as long as I have 35 relief, I'm fine, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's also like, like, I think those do, I think those two, ha like, actually happen, happen simultaneously, but we were, we were talking about Wave. Um, remember, you, you said that you didn't know it worked this way until I did it at, uh, at PAX, is um, if you would die, but then... The thing, like you know, if like you know, like say a shark strike would kill you, the shark strike kills the thing. You will like stand in like the like hurt animation, and then the wave will come across and cancel it out, right? Like you could actually like like the, like you like you it you can see it happening in um in sequence. Whereas like yeah. the 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 one you were talking about um doesn't even like blip the thing, or if it does, I haven't seen it. Um, it doesn't even trigger your virtues, right? It's not even like oh, you yeah, go yeah. down to zero and then heal back up. Because yeah. that would imply you trigger your virtues. It's yeah. just you, you know, it cancels each other out. Which I think is, you know, fair enough or whatever. Um, there's also some stuff, like, fun stuff that happens with that. Maybe my most fun build I think I have ever played on Sothis was uh, one where I was just, I was hitting everybody with area of effect affliction and everybody with area of effect relief and that was I basically that all i was doing because i had two star blessings one that said when you take when you take purification above your max health you hit enemies equal to half of that right um and another one said when you deal corruption to yourself um 
you deal that much purification to, to your enemies. So I just like stacked the shit out of affliction on myself. I take 35 affliction and just blast 35 damage kind of thing. Um, and I think that that's like, that's, you know, yeah. that's pretty fun. No, I, I think that's what this game is built for. Right. Is like that kind of yep. thing. Right. Like I was, I was coming to you before the, the cast started that um, when I was testing, it took me a handful of runs to like get through each character um, on mm -hmm. release. Cause there was an update that deleted everything. Um, I got through each, each uh, oracle one and done to get get them to the end. Is it because you already knew what builds to kind of like go for? Like you you understood? Oh, I'm I'm on turn. You know, like I'm on my first choice, right? And oh, I, I can this is a, this is a good die for this thing, and I'm gonna go for this thing. I, I think that that's part of. It. I think there's just like a level of like system mastery, right? Mm -hmm. Like knowing knowing when to like where to apply things. Where it's like, well, I need to like you know I can afford to throw the like I I almost never throw corruption on the enemy. Um, unless, like, unless I have one of the relics that, like, does, like, um, you know, purification to them when you, when you corrupt an enemy. Um, it's like, well, I can fit this on me, and then, like, it, um, and, or, like, I can throw it on the, uh, on, like, one of my sentinels, and, like, heal a sentinel back up. Um, also, also little things, like, I don't know if you remember, but at one point I asked you, it's like, why is this killing me so hard? It's like, oh, because it has, it's, it's like this one particular encounter where the main enemy has... Uh, an effect that doubles all purification and corruption, and then his his sentinel has two thorns on it. So like you hit it and it does you does four corruption to you, which is fucking like nightmarish, right? <laughs> um, but I know to look out for that, right? Like, yeah. um, the only <laughs> the only time that still kills me is if I'm playing fucking Ostra, and it's like lightning storm is like oh I kill, I, I kill, I kill like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. You know, it's funny because Ostra and uh, the other one is Orion. Uh, have really tough interactions with thorns because a lot of the damage they do are these kind of like plinky, you know, like one or two hit, you know, yeah. pieces of pieces of damage and kind the, of thing. Ostra, yeah, yeah, Ostra's random thing and her thunderstorm, right, where it's like yeah. deal one purification six times or something like that. Like that can just like murder you on that fight. Yeah, um, yeah, no, like that's that, those are always the things that like. That, like they, they feel properly roguelite, so I'm not too mad about it. But it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, I'm playing Orion, and I hit this button, and uh, oops, I, I I hit the like you know proc four random orbs, and they were all car they were all karma. Yeah, I mean, Orion, we haven't talked a lot about Orion. Orion was the secret character, right? Who we did not reveal, you know, kind of before release, even even a little bit at all. Um, Orion was pretty interesting, uh, and still to this day. I, I have also just one shot basically every you know um, it's pretty hard for me to to like drop a run in like the early sort of anomalies. It takes me to like anomaly five or six or seven in order to start like losing a lot, um, <clears throat> like in a proper kind of roguelike faction. Um, and uh, Orion makes me lose a lot. Uh, I lose a lot on Orion uh, just because like he's just too five five D chess for me sometimes. You know, uh, my favorite build of Orion is one that is like um, you get a certain amount amount of Astrarium when you hit Cosmic Orb or whatever, um, and uh, and just rotate. You just rotate. You spin the orbs. You spin to win, right? You know, you eventually get a certain amount of that where it's just like you're just triggering Astrarium every time you pass that. You you know, you pass around the orb, so you're just getting like Revolution Seven or Oscillate is my favorite of these, right? Because you oscillate, you go back and forth between two, you know, like two orbs or whatever, and it's just like that stuff is so insanely fun. I could I could play that build of of Orion all day long, um, but just like you know, it's it's interesting because Orion has a lot of builds that I find very tough to put together. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, he has a whole light shield build that I've tried a couple of times, and I've just, like, never gotten that thing to work. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no, it, it, Orion's <clears throat> tough because, like, he has, like, a, like, it feels like he has at least one build for each orb, but, like, you can't reliably be on a particular orb, right? Like, that's, like, his whole design, so... Anything that relies too heavily on one orb just feels like, you know, like I never take like a cosmic dust or whatever. The one that's like, you know, co you know, uh, the cosmic orb will hit everybody um, if activated because it's like one, I can't reliably get to cosmic necessarily. And two, like, you know, this is the thing I was talking about with wave is like there's not reliably more than one enemy on the field. So like, you know, and like I, don't, I find it's not that I find healing underpowered is that I don't find it as useful um, because like, you know, you have you have a lower cap. Than your enemies do, um, and you put out you can put out so much uh, purify sometimes, but you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. I've been at, like I've still been having a great time with this game. It is it is so much fun. Uh, kudos, <laughs> kudos to little Leo and, and you guys for putting out a, a banger of a game. Yeah, I do want to say it's funny because uh, yeah, I like I want to tell like development stories. The game used to be so much harder. <laughs> I, basically, the base the base version of the game was like Anomaly Seven or something like that, um, <clears throat> and everybody kept losing runs. And I eventually got to this point where I told Leo, um, I said, players probably des like design wise, players expect uh, in in a roguelike to win like 50% of their runs at the lowest difficulty level, right? Probably more, right? Most players probably expect maybe like 70% win rate. Um, and uh, I was losing, I was maybe like 5 or 10% win rate, right? Um, and part of that was, you know, part of that was obviously like system mastery or stuff like that. Uh, but when we were giving this, we were giving this, this sort of feedback, I basically told them, I was like, you know, most games we recommend, like when they're, when they're doing difficulties, most games typically start at around like a normal level um, and get harder. Uh, this game, I think you've got the hard mode. Right, you you want to you want to scale down, right? Um, and then you eventually scaled in both both directions. Um, I have yet to complete anomaly, which is essentially anomaly twenty, right? Ascension sort of twenty would be what we would call it. With with Astrea, there are thirteen levels of anomalies, seven levels I think for um, the the final final encounter, um, and thirteen for the pre final encounter. Um, and I have gotten I think to anomaly eight, and I think I got that on Mooney. There was a while where I was. Just just jamming Mooney games because I was like, let me just do this on. I consider Mooney to be the easiest character. I was just like, let me just do this on like the easiest fucking character, and I can get this done. But yeah, it is. It is. It's a real toughie sometimes. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's interesting because I don't know if I'd, I'd agree with you that most people expect to win seventy percent of their roguelites on uh, on the lowest. I feel like maybe this is like just because like there's not a lot of game like broad roguelites with sliding difficulty, but I feel like people expect to like. Um, lose like essentially. I think the the, the kind of like the the modal roguelite is like you know you play for like two hours and in that like and in that you will have like one good run that you will get most of the way and maybe fail out of and then you'll be like okay I'm done for the night type of deal like that's how like I played Gungeon that's how like I feel like uh, NetHack would got played right like um, uh, Dungeons of Dreadmore a lot of those games um, especially the games without like like, uh, Astray doesn't have, like, building power. Like, um, Rogue Legacy has building power, which you kind of expect to lose until you win, um, just because you're, you're building a power over the course of the run, uh, or over the course of the game, rather. Um, 
Uh, but I, I, do, I don't know if I agree with you that people expect to win like they're like, I feel like 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 uh, like it was a handful of runs before I beat my Slay the Spire for the first time. Um, hmm. That's that's an interesting thought. Like I, I feel like I would have expected to like take a couple of attempts to hit the end of the first first run, um, a handful more to get to the end of the second one, and then like. Um, and then maybe it, like, you know, eventually hit that third one. I, I, I guess I guess these kind of, like, deck builder ones do work a little differently, though, because um, just thinking it, you know, thinking out loud about it, um, Slay the Spire, you do eventually start building up uh, difficulty on those as well, so. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a lot of what I was thinking, right? Which was just, like, how frequently are you getting to the final boss and winning um, for, like, a fresh new player? And that's why I came up with that number of, like, 50%. Because I was, like, yeah. I was talking to people who were never winning runs, right? Um, in the old version of the game who were, like, these fresh players. Um, and I was kind of just, like, you know, I think it is a win rate. I think it's just, like, a win rate issue, right? Where the game is a little too tough and um, it just needs to be brought down. I don't know that I think... Uh, it's interesting... <clears throat> I maybe do agree with you that I don't think anybody expects in a roguelike to win their first run. Um, <clears throat> and win rate is kind of bad for simulating this in a way because it, it sort of expects that, you know, you'll you, it, it, like it, it expects that you're going to just like you have a 50 percent chance of winning your first run. I think people have a pretty good chance of winning their second run, though. Right. I think most people they'll do one run on Mooney and fail out and then do a second run on Mooney and maybe get there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm describing a little bit when I'm describing 50 percent um, or the two hour example. I think I would probably say that, you know, maybe that represents four runs and you win two, lose two kind of thing. You know, and yeah. maybe it's, you know, you lose twice on, on Mooney, but then you win on Mooney and you win on Solaris, like that kind of a thing. Um, or something kind of along those lines. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think yeah, the rules yeah. are also different for um, these deck builder style roguelites because, like, I think, I think the real answer is, is, is like, every, like, 50% of runs are... Um, Winnable's not quite right, but like winnable by a competent, like builder, right? Like, like the, th the thing about say Enter the Gungeon is like, you know, from moment one, the run is winnable, but it's a player skill issue, right? Like, um, and the class, the classic, the classic roguelikes, uh, have a heavy luck component, so that that even works out a little bit differently there. Um, yeah, I mean, there are definitely some things I would I would probably say that that are like traps in. Um, early game, especially for like Mooney and Solarius, right? Like this wave build stuff. I I think a competent player is the kind of player who might, you know, like you or me, if I was starting fresh, I would know, oh, Mooney doesn't unlock Moonlight until level two, so I can't do the Hex Dice build. Do you know what I mean? I can't go for that. Um, um, and a competent player can probably 100% win a first game every time, right? Um, but I think a fresh player who doesn't have any mastery of, like, the individual, you know, they don't, they just don't see enough dice. They don't understand how, how stuff is going to, like, work out or whatever. Like, I think my first win on Mooney, I was winning with a conversion, like, Twilight Sigil. You know, you're putting Twilight Sigil on guys, you're converting a, a bunch or whatever. That was probably how I won. Um, I honestly don't really remember how I beat, um on the on the stream the other day but i did one shot mooney solarius uh, um 
maybe Hevelius. I think I died on Ostra and I had to go I had to go twice on Ostra. Um but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. No, I I think I think a big part of it is something that you said a lot, which is like a lot of times um uh the correct choice to not take a die, which I think is not mm. a thing that you have to learn. Um Lou in the chat says you died on Chimbo. I don't know. Did I die on Chimbo? Oh, you know what? I, I you're right. I went for I think I went for Wave Build and I died, right? Um and I wouldn't have had forceful stream. I would have been level one. I wouldn't have had forceful stream. I wouldn't have had uh, the thing that you know the wave triggers in the battle or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. I think I did die on on Shimbo. Sure. Uh, Name is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. You were just saying a thing. Oh, uh, about about um the not taking dice. Oh, yeah, that, that is definitely one of my things, is that it is almost always incorrect to take a die. I used to take tons of dice. I used to think, because, like, this is like this was kind of my, like, Hearthstone brain, maybe, thinking. Um, because in Hearthstone, you don't reshuffle the deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So getting a bigger deck just gives you kind of value and longevity. Um, and at a certain point, you know, like, you, you don't really, you don't even have the option when I was doing, like, the, the Hearthstone roguelike modes, like the Hearthstone adventures. Um uh to you don't even have the option um to to pick that stuff up right um but it but in Australia you as soon as you exhaust your dice pool you just reshuffle it back again and you can do it you can do it all over again right um and that makes for a really interesting sort of dynamic because what it means is you uh, you have essentially infinite draws you will never run out of dice right um, there is no punishment for reshuffling right um which means any die that you take that is not synergistic to your build dilutes your build right. right um and you will end up you know picking up dice that are not that are not super worth it um there is that one star blessing which i have never gotten to work correctly where like if you have 30 or more dice you're you just start doing more purification or whatever um i have never I, my my instincts are just such that like i've never been able to make that that work but i theoretically kind of want to try it out one you know like one day just like take everything and and see what happens i i want i took it once because i thought it would trigger with hex dice which was i thought it was dynamic which is to say that when i was shuffling a bunch of hex dice into my um into my dice pool i would be blasting for for way more but it's not it just triggers on turn one basically that makes sense yeah no um yeah i I have I have had successful runs with lots of dice, but like I think you're mostly right, right? Like you need like if you're not taking a synergistic die, it's it's bad. And for that reason, I rarely ever take neutral dice, um, just because like like in my my last hilarious run, I took a couple of like neutral shield dice just because it's like at some like you know if I get like a doom or two, I'm going to do more than my health bar, and so I need to be able to like absorb that with shield. Um, but uh, other than that, like I just I typically don't. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. Do, when you mean neutral, do you mean balanced? No, no. I mean like non-character specific. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Uh, do I take neutral dice ever? I don't know. I mean, there's some there's some stuff where I take it, it's just the best that you can, right? Like an epic epic dice. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. pretty common that I get epic dice that I'm just like, ah, you know, whatever. Like a refresh die. I'm not super into virtues, but I'll just make it happen. That kind of a thing. Um, 
Yeah, I guess I do sort of agree with you. Uh, there's some neutral stuff that I'll pick up. Uh, like with Mooney, uh, there's a neutral die called Excruciatus, which is uh, just like a ton of pure, a ton of corruption, but it puts a Serenity on a target. I'll take that on like a Mooney conversion build. It's like if there are neutral dice that overlap well, right? If I'm doing Charged Body on Havelius, which is all about Light Shield, obviously I'll take a Light Shield die, right? right? right. Um but uh, yeah, you really you it, the, um, you really have to synergize in order for me to want to pick it. In order for me to want to pick it up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What uh? What else do you want to talk about about this game? I don't know. I mean, we've we've hit a lot of the we've hit a lot of the classics. I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's a good game. I, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, the what about did you? You obviously hit the Orion cutscene this time. Did you? Did you enjoy the the story? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a story. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I get what they're going for, but it also has that that kind of like, you know, what programmer arc is. Uh, like ASCII art? No, so no, like programmer art is like when like your game has like not great art because a programmer did it as like a placeholder. Um, oh, okay. You know, like some like some programmer who doesn't have any art skills like drew something by hand, and it's okay because um, like it's like a thing they do on the side, but it's like you know not a final. This has programmer programmer story. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I feel a little bit bad about that because I think some of that might be like um, I assume English is not Leo's first language. Um, uh, some of it, some of like, it's not the story beats. It's kind of like the dialogue, which I assume is not sure. helped by, uh, you know, English not being the, fir the, the first language, but like, um, like the whole, like, I feel, I, I feel like I was like missing an important piece of like cultural context for like the little brother joke that like, like went on for like, you know, like seven lines. Um, in, in that scene, uh, or maybe it's just kind of like, you know, like it, it felt a little stilted, but you know, it was still fun, right? Like I, I don't come to the game for like, I didn't come to this game because I, I cared about, like, I, I will say I, as much as I, like, I, you know, I, I thought like the, the story story wasn't super great. Um, one, it was less English than Zoeti, uh, no offense. Uh, true. Uh, and, and two, I liked the unspoken implied stuff, right? Like, we don't actually mm -hmm. get a lot of information about these six planets, right? Like, we just, you know, there's the different animal people, and, like, Sothis is, like, a, a, a you know, a, a prince that, like, got, like, expelled from his homeland, that kind of stuff. Like, that kind of, like, John Wickian, you know, Dark Soulsian kind of, like, not a lot said, but a lot implied, I think is very cool. I am also a huge fan of that. One of my favorite things, actually, is that the, if you, if you think about, um, the enemies that you're fighting, a lot of the time they match up pretty one to one uh, with the um, uh, like not quite. You know, there are obviously much truer, dark ref reflections of the individual oracles, um, but it is things like um, the big shark guy with the hammer where he has like the doom or whatever that feels like, you know, in a in a uh, sort of like narrative design way that feels like I am fighting a corrupted Eridanian, right? Like, you understand why him and Solarius come from the same planet, right? Um, you know, the the owls that I talk about, these run-killing owls, I, it makes a lot of sense to me that they come from 
um, Mooney's planet, right? Because they're doing the same sort of like scholar wizard wizard stuff. I also think that the kind of character classes come across incredibly well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of like neat little details that that make that stuff work. In kind of the same way that I talk about it with WoW, right? Like something I've talked about with WoW before is that there's sort of an inherent narrative design to each of the classes, where it's like the class fantasy of you know playing an arms warrior versus playing a fury warrior is different, you know, because the gameplay mechanics are built to be evocative of these sorts of, you know, kind of colorful, flavorful, loreful, forthos sort of aesthetics. And I think that also comes across, right? Um, the idea that uh, Sothis, you know, he's an exiled prince, but he kind of has this, like, Sothis is sort of a rogue, like, Mooney is kind of a cleric, maybe, or like a wizard or something, right? Um, Solarius is a is a berserker. He's a barbarian, right? Um, you know, like all of the, all of that stuff comes across in the design of their characters, which I think works uh, works pretty great. And yeah. I and I, I appreciate that. I think that the art design is also phenomenal, top notch. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that makes a that makes a huge difference because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of little stuff in the art that's happening that uh, I don't know. It just like sells it, I guess. I agree. I agree. Uh, well, with that, do we want to move on to our, our weeks besides this? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, my week, I was deeply, deeply astray pilled. Um, but uh, tell me, tell me what you've been up to. Uh, been playing Street Fighter. I have bounced in and out of platinum into gold like a half dozen times today. Um, so, you know, uh, fighting the good fight learning the battle there i probably should stop playing today i feel like i was on tilt for most of it <laughs> um uh something i did want to i i um finished the f i don't know if I remember if i talked about this last week but I, I i've been listening to the terry pratchett discworld books um i finished uh color of magic and the light fantastic the first two books very funny very good um i watched cyberpunk edgerunners in preparation for phantom liberty dropping um, not that it's tied. Oh my god, are we gonna be Phantom Liberty gamers? Shit. Uh, you know, um, I still want to finish Baldur's Gate three before I jump into that. So, um, uh, but uh, uh, Edge Runners is pretty good. Um, it is is a trigger anime. Um, it feels to me very much like. I heard somebody say that like you know, trigger is like has been trying to make the same anime for like 20 years or whatever. And they do like, you know, they, they're variously successful at it. This edge runners feels very much like Tengu top and girl and to me. Um, in all the ways I liked it and didn't like that, that anime, uh, um, up to and including, I am sure someone out there will be in like, so have you ever seen girl and Logan girl Lagan? Have you have you seen it? Uh, I have actually not seen Gurren Lagann, but I do know quite a lot about it. Obviously, like I'm the drill that pierces the heavens, all that stuff. So, do you know the name of the main character? Uh, no, actually. So, name of the main character is Simon, but a bunch of weebs say it's Shimon because that's the way they say it in the anime. Because it's a bunch of Japanese people saying Simon. Um, okay, like it's all right. like in the subtitles it's spelled Simon. Um, so I am wondering if there are people out there that are going to do the same thing for Edge Runners because, like, the main character's name is David Martinez, but like you know, in the original Japanese dubbed English, it's Davido Martinez, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, uh, but you know, and it's, um, but it's you know, it's very cyberpunk. It's uh, pretty good. 
Um, great visuals. Uh, great little story inside of it. Um, uh, definitely, like, it's one of those things that's, like, it's very cool, but it's, and it's also, like, I know the game can't play like this, right? Like, one of, one of, one of the things that happens in the show is, like, you know, like, a big thing makes a big hole in the ground. It's, like, not going to happen in Cyberpunk, right? Like, you know, in, in, in the game, outside of, like, a set-piece moment, right? Like, you can't, you can't have that kind of dynamic stuff in a game for the most part, right? Like, we're only in very specific types of games, so... Um, uh, but, you know, still still a lot of fun. I'd, I'd recommend it um, if you're a fan of Trigger and or Cyberpunk. Um, music's great. Um, uh, visuals are great. Story's pretty okay. Um, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, I had not planned to go back to Cyberpunk, but I might be convinced. I, I, part, of, part of this is I kind of – I got into Starfield and then I fell out of Starfield, I guess, just because of all this Astraea stuff and, uh, and everything else. Uh, and I ended up just kind of uh, – I don't know. I like I, I, when I think about going back to Starfield. I'm like, am I really gonna do that? Is that really gonna happen? Yeah. Uh, so maybe. Starfield, I'm okay with putting off for a little longer because I figure my true Starfield experience will be in like you know six months when I go and I set up like a half dozen mods and play for half an hour and then put it down for another six months. Um, like I do Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but like, um, but but seriously, once once the dust kind of settles a little bit around it, and once like, because the thing that makes start like you know the the Bethesda team is great is like the huge mod support. So I assume that like when that gets there, better I will be a little bit more into it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I played Fallout Three, Fallout well, New Vegas was obviously Obsidian, but I played Fallout Three, Fallout Four, and um, uh, Skyrim uh, pretty obsessively on release. Even Fallout Four, a game I famously don't like right and i think it's pretty bad i played a hundred hours of that before i kind of said that game wasn't great starfield it's just hard to capture my attention with it for some reason um and, and i did get really into it for like one or two days but i just kind of got distracted by like other things and that's all it took to kind of like knock me out of the mindset uh where it's like i guess i'm just not gonna go back to starfield anytime soon um i don't know we'll see i like it's like it's a game i want to love it's a game i want to love but i just kind of have it and i think that that's a pretty uh, common thing. A, a lot of a lot of discourse on Starfield seems to sort of echo that understanding or idea. Um, how how much of that do you think is um, our lives being busier than they were when Fallout Four came out? You know, I think that's probably real. Uh, it Starfield has come out in. This is part of what I was stressed the fuck out about when it came to Estrella. I was like, we're launching in, in like the you know the year. The, there are kaijus all around us, right? Um, even less, Baldur's Gate. I would say there are lesser kaijus too, right? Like Lies of P was like a game. Is a game that's like very, uh, you know, very important to a small subset of people. It's not like you know Baldur's Gate or, or Starfield level, yeah. but like you know, it's there, right? Yeah, part of my thing, Starfield, I think, has hit softer than I expected. I expected Star Starfield to be sort of Titanic, and it kind of hasn't. I think a lot of the discourses around Starfield is sort of doing this thing that, I'm, that I've sort of talked about. Um, Phantom Liberty is also real. I mean, we're off a week, obviously, by Phantom Liberty, but they did patch to 2.0 on the same day as Estrella, and I was like, this is the kind of thing that could sink us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's one of those things, you know, when you're an indie, anything like that, just anything like that can sink you kind of thing. Um, that's what's happened, and it, it's happened to other games of ours right uh gone viral which i think was a pretty 
pretty good game, and I was pretty proud of that game. Uh, we set a release date, we announced it, and then boom, Spelunky and Hades both released right on top of it, and it's Ooh. just like there's and, nothing you can do, right? Say, like, <laughs> you that's, know? that's also like the same like the same genre, right? Like it's not like you know at least with start like no. You are That's not, true. You're not going to, you know, Starfield and Australia for each other's experiences, right? Like, um, no, I, that is that is absolutely true. Um, there's a version of things where maybe like, I don't know, like we come out on top of like a, like Wild Frost. Wild Frost is kind of what destroyed Zoetti in this way because uh, they were both turn these turn-based roguelikes, right? Wild Frost came out a week before Zoetti did. What is Wild um, Frost? And it's like a Wild Frost is it is the it is another turn based it's it's another Slay the Spire basically kind of game right uh, published by Chucklefish uh, they're okay. the they're a bigger publisher than we are they're like not quite Devolver level they're the Stardew Valley people um, yeah they they have a particular aesthetic to them right like uh, yeah so Wild you know like a version of things where Australia comes out right on top of Wild Frost is probably like more dangerous but we are pretty safe from others of these kinds of like deck builders and stuff like that um, and we also had pretty good you know like like ramp up into into all this stuff but yeah I am I, I was worried as fuck just because of how crazy everything is uh, in these it is like this three month stretch of like August to September to, to October there's just a million things um Mortal Kombat 1 obviously came out. Um, uh, what else was in August? Um, Baldur's Gate. Well, yeah, Baldur's Gate was the big one in August. Wasn't there something else? I don't know. Whatever. Um, but I don't know. People are talking about 2023 is a really insane year for games, and I think that that's probably really true. Um, oh, Armored Core. That's the other August game. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubicon. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. A game, another game that I meant to go back to but haven't. Like I played like the first level of it, and it's like, yeah, it's gotta beat Baldur's Gate. And then I play like, you know, ten more hours of Street Fighter. Um, I definitely feel that like part of why I'm playing Street Fighter more than I'm playing like finishing up Baldur's Gate is that like Street Fighter is like, you know, when I'm having my morning coffee and it's before I need to log on to work, I will play a couple of matches of Street Fighter. Or if I need a break in the middle of the day and working from home, I will play some street fighter um and it's just like you know i can play a couple of matches um the only thing i can't do with street fighters i can't play it right before bed because it'll get my blood pressure up and i won't be able to fall asleep um, <laughs> yeah boy i feel you i feel you that's sort of me with payday right now uh oh, payday, three. Come out. payday three came out famously they're having these insane server issues or whatever to be fair i've been having a pretty great time but you know yeah i think uh you know the server issues are are rough i actually you we should play payday 3 yeah i think you would uh but th so the thing with payday 3 uh is this on game pass i was actually not planning to pay, play it on launch i was like i'll i'll wait right which was true of the original payday i only really got into that a couple of years after after launch they had made a bunch of dlc a bunch of changes to the game or whatever um but I, when i saw it was on game pass i was like oh well this, this is like sure yeah i'll fucking just download it and play it uh, kind of thing um it's better than I expected. It's actually much better than I expected. I, to be fair, I haven't been following. Uh, I haven't been following it too closely. I knew some stuff about it, kind of going into launch. Um, obviously, it's being developed in a bigger, you know, like a bigger engine, and there's some uh, gameplay changes uh, that I was just kind of like vaguely aware of. One of the things that's really nice is they got rid of sort of like the detection meter. Do you remember that? Where like you could be at zero or you could be at seventy-five. Uh, vaguely. Is this, is this okay. like, like the alert level or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, basically, a lot less happens 
in like like you can kind of stealth for any mission now because you just you are you have a baseline sort of stealth effect even if you're walking in with like full body armor and a shotgun or whatever you're essentially the same as just like a guy in a suit with a pistol that kind of thing right um i think uh I think that's been a pretty good change. Uh, basically, every game of Payday I have played so far is we do stealth for a while, and then somebody fucks up, and then it just all goes to shit, and you finish it out, right? Um, which is different than what we used to do in the first game, because in the first game, or I'm sorry, technically the second game, but the first time we played Payday, you, you were built so specifically for stealth that you couldn't make that transition work, right? Whereas now, you're kind of always built for loud, so it just doesn't it just doesn't super matter, right? Um, if something goes wrong, ah, that's just, you know, we might as well just like rob it normally that's fine um and i think that that's been a pretty good uh change for the game the uh, other change to the I, game I, I that they made that's the, the most miserable time i ever had playing payday with you was when we were trying to do that stealth mission it was like we'll do it stealth and we do this a bunch of times we get a lot of money and then we're it's, and then it, and like we screwed up like like six times in a row and it's like i don't like this at all like um but yeah anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Um, there's also better... The stealth stuff is also better and more interesting. One of the problems with the original version of stealth was a lot of the time it was like, you have your big moment, and then you're just sitting around, right? When we did do the stealth drill, like the stealth thing appropriately, right? We, um, uh, we had this thing where... Um, you're just sitting there and waiting for three minutes for the drill to go and there's nothing to do because everybody's down, everybody's on the ground, you know, you've, you've like solved that, right? And you just sit and wait and like that's really boring. But stealth, the, like the stealth version actually tends to be the fastest and most efficient version of doing the mission. Um, and like, it's like when the stealth version fails, you pick up the loud version and it's like they're two different branching paths, right? Like you can either get into the bank stealthy Right. By like using doing key card stuff, you find the manager, you put the manager, you tie him up, you take his key card, you go down to the bank, you know, you bloop, you you, you hit the security room, make sure they can't see like the security cameras are off, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's all very that's all like m much more active. Right. Um, and there's less like, OK, now you use the same drill stuff. It's like, no, you're not going to burn into you're not going to stealthily burn into the drill with thermite. Right. You are. um uh, you're gonna do this like key card access kind of like bullshit or whatever. I have never completed a stealth mission on Payday Three so far, and I'm like level like 25 or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe maybe there's more to stealth stuff than I've ever been able to figure out. We've gone pretty deep a couple of times, but generally speaking, what ends up happening is um, we get we kind of progress maybe like 25 to 50 percent of the mission, and then it fucks up, and then we go loud, and then you just do the rest of the mission from there. Um, and uh and yeah that's, no, that's that kind feels of it. like the way it should be right that feels like kind of like a heist movie right is yeah like, you know absolutely you follow the plan and then something goes wrong and then like you have to improvise right like that that, that feels like it, it it's about right um because i you know this is this is not the stealth mission but i also have like strong memories of like yelling at charles pow to stay on the fucking drill right <laughs> yeah i mean there is some stuff with that but that is different because of how like waves and enemies sure. and stuff works right so for instance um the thing is now when you're um uh, like when you're just robbing the basic bank for instance right you're not using a drill anymore you're using thermite and so you make this thermite thing you're you're thermiting in from the roof and you're going to pop into the bottom of the the vaults basically and what the cops keep doing is they pull fire alarms to make sprinklers go off right oh, okay. and so um the the fire alarms will go off 
uh, but you can keep, but like you can keep the cops from doing that, right? So if you're if you're you're good, you're managing, you're doing your crowd control, right? You're not letting them get close to the to the things. Um, uh, you uh, are able to kind of tamp down on on this stuff and make sure it's not you know it's not going wrong. It's not nothing nothing bad is happening. Um, the other thing that's neat about uh, that sort of version of gameplay uh, is that the cops scale in intensity, right? Um, so you have one round of basic cops, you have one round of basic cops and some specials, um, and then you have the third round, which is the most advanced round, and that one's just they're all it's all you you gotta win right um which is not how it used to work it used to just be you had cops and then break and then cops and then break and then cops and then break um but now you have this kind of like ramping threat and intensity that makes it uh kind of crazier and more fun anyway i don't know that's payday three so far server issues are happening though and it sucks yeah that makes sense um well the other things i wanted to talk about in this back half are uh so you have thoughts on the uh, Unity pricing thing that got walked back? Uh, yeah, I think it was dumb as fuck, I guess, is what I would say. Uh, but, you know, they walked it back, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, so just, what are your thoughts on the Unity pricing thing? Yeah, so just, just to set the stage, um, Unity announced a new pricing plan whereby you would pay per install. Um, initially, this was um, all installs um, where immediately someone was like, like, you know, you know, I am mad at this developer. I will delete and reinstall their game, consistent. You know, uh, consistently. Um, there was also just some like, like, that is all kind of like misguided. I think the really shitty stuff was like they had a GitHub repository with all the versions of the license, and they used to say, and they tried to take away your ability to like. They used to say that like, you could the game, you could hold to the license that you had when you're either on the version of the engine that your game was built on or that it released on, something like that. Um, they tried to get rid of that stealthily. No one was having that. Um, uh, they also, there was also a bunch of other little stuff in there. Um, uh, but yeah, basically every small developer was like, fuck you, um, right? Like, and you know, immediately started making plans. Like, I didn't even know Godot was, Godot is a, uh, an open source game engine apparently. I do know Godot, yeah, Godot is an open source engine game maker. I was like, don't go to game maker, you guys. Game maker's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. People, I, Unreal, right? Like, uh, uh, Unreal is crazy. That I was like, uh, it's funny because, you know, really where it's where I live, right? Um, mo basically every game is Unity, right? It is really rare, really hard to find a game that is not uh, that is not Unity. I've we published games from Unity Game Maker and Unreal, um, and Game Maker and Unreal just give you so many fucking issues. It is kind of obscene but the but the issue is, is that most people learn on unity yep. um it's kind of just like the default way to sort of uh uh to sort of approach things and um you know that makes it that makes it complicated and interesting i guess uh to to go for a kind of price hike in this way i think the the installs thing was absolutely fundamentally ridiculous uh it's just like there are so many pieces that and and it's ridiculous in a way that's like anybody who understands the like the industry would also agree it's it's ridiculous it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sort of sense you kind of can't even really see where it makes sense if, if, like people compared this a lot to the OGL thing and i was like this is not like the OGL thing the OGL thing i understood right i understood that wizards wanted to sort of 
They wanted to do the thing that Blizzard did with Dota and Warcraft Reforged, right? Which was say, you know what? This insane IP came out of our our game and we didn't have any right to it and I want to cut back on that. So we're going to change the OGL in order to make it so that Critical Role, right, has to pay us better, basically, right? Shitty, but understandable. This one, I'm like... What what is the what what is the what is the fucking what is the, the plan thing the here? thing I have heard like, is that what they were thinking about was um, mobile games, uh, mobile games yeah. that have like large user bases, many of which don't pay anything, and you know uh, they thought they could like peel off that. And to their credit, the numbers that they have changed everything to I think better targets that use case. Um, mm. So you know maybe that'll work out for them. Um, Lou in the chat says you killed mobile companies. Yeah, they've up, they've upped the revenue. It's like a twelve a twelve month look back. You have to make over a million bucks um, in order for like the new terms to apply. Which, you know, that makes some amount of sense to me. Um, uh, I think that uh, I mean this. My high school biology teacher used to tell like, had this thing. It's like you know trust is like uh, like a porcelain doll, right? Um, you break it, and like you can glue it back together, but it's never going to be exactly the same, right? Like, Oof. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think people are gonna, you know, I think, I think Unity's, uh, you know, pe- people, people are probably not gonna, you know, be as happy with Unity. I, I can't imagine, like, it was so such a quick walk back that I assume that like there's gonna be a bunch of people who just like I can't be bothered to like move over, but like you know. People might be like, oh, I guess I'll check out Godot on the next one, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely real. Uh, I guess we'll sort of see where it ends up. It's yeah. interesting because engine stuff is very, it's so B two B, and but this picked up a lot with kind of like consumers, right? Yeah, it kind of became like a big, you know, like like movement. Um, which, uh, on one hand. I'm sort of okay with this. I'm inherently skeptical of movements like this, just because I always think, I mostly I think they're reductive, right? This is kind of my critique of any version of, like, I don't know, so many of these gamer controversies have kind of happened, and I always push back against them, right? Like the Blizzard stuff, or, um, what's another one? Hogwarts Legacy, or whatever. But there's something about this one being driven from sort of the, like, these indie developers, right? Uh, that I think mattered and makes a makes a big difference. So, you know, yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I guess uh, we'll see. Indeed. Uh, I am glad that they changed because holy fuck, that yeah. was oh yeah, big crazy. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, bring up towards the end of the podcast since uh, uh, is uh, buddy, how much do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about the Roman Empire all the time. Are you kidding? Are are you not familiar with this 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 topic du jour? Yeah, I love I love getting destroyed by goths, Mango. Are you come on? <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know why this is when, when did this become the topic du jour? I've seen the memes, but I don't I don't actually uh, understand the etymology of them. So, um I think there's a couple layers to this, right? Like um the the thing that happened is like the the, the, or, or the origination of this uh of this meme is apparently on TikTok. There's this trend of girls asking their, or, you know, women asking their boyfriends, husbands, fiancés, um, how much do you think about the Roman Empire and getting back 
uh, answers that astonish them, right? Like it's like almost every day, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you know, that kind of thing. It's like people and um, there's, I think, a bunch of different interpretations of this. Um, I have heard basically like such a huge cross section of people respond to this meme and talk about it. There's just like, this is like, it, it had a much larger cultural frame than I even expected. Right. Everybody from like, you know, I've heard like conservative talk, like conservative podcast hosts to like, you know, food YouTubers talk about this meme. Um, um, I think there's a part of this that's like, there's, there's some of this is like serious talk about like, you know, the, uh, uh, about like what this means about the culture. Cause it's like, it's like a, you know, 70 different versions of this, right? Like, and I, I think that's why it's like, cause like the Roman empire is kind of pretty universally applicable, right? There's kind of like, there's stock standard kind of like, you know, the Roman empire was, um, it's like a thing that like, m you know, men in general are into in the same way they're into any kind of like large military thing. Right. Like, sure. You know, you know, um, some guy might know every single kind of like small arm in World War Two. Some other guy knows, you know, the the all about the Testudo formation, right? In Rome, there's also this aspect of like, is is are we at the end of the American Empire? Is that due to decadence, right? Um, I hate. Oh my God! Hey, the, uh, this. this uh, <laughs> there's like, there's also like the aspect is like, you know, Rome very famously had a lot of like. Um, uh, kind of like informal non-stigmatized uh, homosexual relationships is I guess the, the most gentle way to put it and some people are like this proves that the Roman Empire was like you know was like good right and some people are like no this is that was at the end of the empire and this is you know the fact that we are like this is is you know indicative of the decadence of the west and why the west is falling and then there's also the kind of like oh well actually rome was terrible because uh slaves right like you know you know stuff about democracy there's like so much in this fucking stew that i think you can just pick whichever angle you want on it and i think that's why it's 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 such like a topic du jour um yeah i i so funnily enough okay you have hit me where i live a little bit which is to say that it is one of my like history like things that pisses me off, right? That people don't understand is the idea that the Roman Empire fell because of decadence. And I know exactly where this comes from, which is why which is why I guess we're going to talk about this. Have you ever read The Rise and Fall or or, or the the not the rise and fall, like the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, right? No. This is like the most famous book uh, on it. So so the decline and fall enough, uh, I Rome is one of the areas of history that I am not particularly interested in. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, when, okay. When, when my girlfriend the decline the and fall of the Roman Empire is a book that was published in the 1700s, but it's like it's sort of in the same way that we might think of. Um, I don't know. Like, are there any big history books that like are like definitive works on a thing that you could think about? Right. Um, I'm thinking about how maybe. Uh, the one I'm thinking about is um, like Fire and the Whatever. It's the it's the book on the Vietnam War. Uh, Vietnam book Fire. What is it called? History something. It's called something. Fire in the Lake, right? Fire in the Lake is a book that is. Um, the, it's like the definitive history of the Vietnam War in a lot of places, right? If you're going to take a class on the Vietnam War, you're going to read this book kind of thing. The decline and fall of the Roman Empire is a 
is a book that is like that, but it's from the 1700s. So it has a lot of bad history in it, right? That like modern historians would, would disagree with, but it comes away with this thesis that the reason that the Roman empire kind of fell was the loss of, um, you know, he called it virtue, right? Um, virtue being sort of this idea that like, you know, this is sort of the Enlightenment, right? Uh, this is like late 1700s. The French Revolution, the American Revolution are happening. And this idea that, like, citizens have to be invested in their republics in order for the republic to kind of live. And what happened in Rome is that, like, citizens lost that virtue. And that gets bastardized into, the like, the, Rome became decadent. Or whatever, right? It became this decadent place um, where people just became like these hedonistic, crazy, whatever, and there was no, and and there was no virtue, right? The idea is that decadence replaces the virtue, and that's why, and that's why sort of Rome fell. So both of those are sort of bad history takes. The the virtue one actually makes a certain amount of sense, but like maybe less in like a like a like an argumentative thesis way, because mostly what people don't understand about Rome is. <sighs> The empire was around for so fucking long that like the parts of the empire that are at its most decadence are hundreds of years before it actually falls. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, and, and, like, and, and as I understand it, kind of like like Rome, Rome kind of like very gradually fell. Right. Like historians have a yeah. date that they call like the end of the Roman Empire. But it's like this it's kind of like a, a gradient that happens as like, you know, things fall into disrepair and whatnot. Yeah, like, I mean, Rome, when did Rome get sacked by the Visigoths? When did Rome get sacked? Um, okay, so that's in 1410. Uh, when did Constantine God. split the empire? Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, three twenty-six. I'm trying to think. These are the these are the moments, right? That people say Constantine splits the empire of the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. The Eastern Roman Empire goes on to be the Byzantines and then the Ottomans and is basically fine, you know, until the early 1900s, right? Um, but uh, 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 the Visigoths sacking Rome is like a big decline in the Roman Empire moment. Um, Constantine severing the empire but it's like even those are are 126 years apart right you know constantine cuts the empire in half and it's it, it still lives for a hundred and it, it still lives for like 125 years yeah. even it, like th between these two moments that we think of as being the decline right the fall of the roman right. empire is rome gets sacked constantine splits the empire in half the the idea that there are a hundred years there a century passes between these two moments is absolutely incredible right um and i think that that's like a big piece of where you know like people mis misinterpret this kind of lore there's also this thing about like do you know the thing about uh hard men oh, weak men soft yeah, men no, or whatever this means hard men create easy times easy times create <sighs> soft men soft men create hard times yeah, this is also why this is wrong. I actually that me that meme is funny for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's like it's one of these like it's kind of like a right wing you know meme. The idea that like oh soft men you know create these the, you know like these terrible sorts of like whatever. And there is some truth to that in certain situations, right? You for instance, a place where I would say that is true is American presidents, right? Um, the founding father. American history is complicated in this way, but like sure. the first set of presidents are universally founding fathers. They are people who can 
like date back to the to the American Revolution. Even Andrew Jackson, who we would probably not say is a good president, um, he you know he enlists with the with the American with the Continental Army at 17 years old, um, and he becomes president pretty late pretty you know late in his in his career um but what happens is after this flight of the the true founding fathers james madison you know thomas jefferson george washington this group of presidents right uh you get into the these sort of politician presidents right um who are universally pretty bad and this is sort of the run-up to the civil war right james buchanan or is something like you don't even remember these names because they're just so you know like they're they're so kind of like um miller film board yeah, it's exactly. Like these kinds of these kinds of presidents. There are probably good presidents. I like James Polk, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, like, but you know, I I like presidents. I like Andrew Jackson, but like in the same way that I like, I don't know, you know, Walter but, White. But, 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 but I, I see what you're saying, right? Like every once but in a yeah, while, so the idea is like that a, like there's like a war or some some large conflict that forces us to recenter kind of our belief in what. Like, you know, like kind of like the, the founding virtues of the thing, right? Like the Civil War, I'd argue World War II does this, right? Like we get Dwight after that. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and as so, we get and that's from those, we get more politician y, less, less great presidents, right? Is that your thesis? Yeah. And so, and, and so, and the, and the reason I bring that up is because think of the time scale, right? The time scale of a human life and the amount of time that someone can claim sort of one of these great moments in history, right? Um, is actually pretty it's actually like pretty fucking short right uh we went through maybe 20 30 years where you know we had these founding father presidents and then we transitioned into these kind of second generation politician presidents who you know kind of fucked the nation up into the civil you know and led it into the civil war basically um that happened over the course of 50 50 years maybe right the roman empire if you want to say that like Rome was kind of forged by hard men, you're probably talking about kind of the realm of great Roman conquests, which was happening probably, you know, like like Caesar would maybe be like the easiest person we could pinpoint or whatever. But Caesar was in 44 BC, 400 years before something like, you know, the sack of Rome by the Visigoths, you know, 300 years before Constantine split the split the empire in half or whatever. And it's like that can't possibly be the case just because so much time has passed between these things. Anyway, that's my Roman Empire. There you go. Here's my weird history spiels <laughs> for for the day. Uh you know, when uh when <laughs> for the podcast. When, say, when when my girlfriend asked me about it, um my response was I don't think about the Roman Empire that much, but I do think about the Cold War a bunch. Um uh, interesting and uh yeah i mean i i do get that because uh i've i like the roman empire and uh i think it is under utilized specifically for like D D stuff uh this is part of why one of my uh you played in this setting right i had this setting in college called saran um which was a big great empire of a bunch of you know like the the typical like D D races or whatever um that that's sort of based on the Roman Empire because I like the idea of there's a Rome that, you know like we're not in, we're not sort of playing in fantasy medieval lots of you know kingdoms or whatever we're playing in fantasy Rome kind of thing does it make sense yeah um, yeah and I think that there's you know I don't know there's stuff there I, I I think part of the reason why it's less utilized is because um 
something like like Rome is known for its kind of like large scale warfare, um, mm -hmm. and like individual adventures don't fit as well into that. Obviously, there's like you know the, the Iliad and the Odyssey are the you know kind of like the counterpoints to that, which technically is Greece, not Rome, but you know same you know, classical classical adventurism. But like um, the medieval era had a lot more kind of like you know. Uh, less top-down kind of like empire-level organization, I think, and I think that that's part of why, like, like the the, the fundamental D and D fantasy, right? It's like a four, but you know, it's a, it's a bunch of normals that strike out to like make fame and fortune and like make it work. Um, yeah, and that is less at home in like a more highly structured society. Um, like, uh, I don't know how true it is, but like Rome is kind of like presented to be is, is maybe the right way to put it. Yeah, Rome is also a big center for this like great man history, right? Like if I think of somebody like Scipio Af Africanus, right? Like the Punic Wars, we would maybe think of as being very, this is maybe like the classicest of most classic sort of like Rome or whatever, but he's a general leading an army of 100,000 people. Hannibal, right? Same thing, right? A general leading this huge, huge, gigantic army. And there's a lot of cool stuff that I feel like you could translate to D&D. &D. Hannibal leading war elephants over the Alps, for instance. He's um, like, that's like, that's like part and parcel the indie shit, right? Uh, but yeah, I definitely agree with you that like the heroes on the ground um, of Rome are a little different than the heroes of the ground um, yeah. in like the medieval era. I, I also wonder how much of that is like, you know, um, like classic D and D isn't maybe so much directly the Middle Ages as it is like living out the Arthurian legend um, in, a, in, a, mm, in a way. Interesting, because like. Those stories are kind of like individual night stories, right? Like it's not, it, yeah. It's not like D and D is trying to be right, like you know, a miniature version of like Crusader Kings, right? Which kind of like more accurately kind of like goes to the history. It's it's, it's about like those adventures which are embodied by like the Arthurian myth, um, and obviously the the Tolkien who built on top of it, like you know, kind of merged like World War One with the Arthurian myth, um, and uh, I, so to that point, I think that like building a D and D game. Off of again the, the 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 Greek part of the classics, um, off of like the, the Iliad and the Odyssey, like those myths, I think could work. Um, and I think maybe part of that too is that like a lot of, a lot of it has like a lot of like direct, inter you know direct intermingling with the gods, which is like a weird like you know D and D kind of typically doesn't like get into, but. I think that's, that's yeah, it's also a little complicated because um, there's stuff about uh, technology as well, yeah. right? Um, obviously, like Bronze Age to Iron Age, kind of, you know, the advent of castles, right, um, is very is very different. The kind of uh, cavalry warfare, right, that's happening is is very different because you have kind of a thousand years between something like the Iliad and something like you know. Oh, what would I say? Well, it's like a good medieval battle. Agincourt, maybe, right? Like, you know, like these big medieval battles mm. that just happen under different sorts of terms. Yeah. 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 But I also think that, like, in the same way that medieval stuff bor borrows from, for instance, pirates, or, like Renaissance pirates, right. you know, get gets co-opted into sort of medieval settings all the time. I like the idea of co-opting Roman stuff into uh, into D&D &D settings. And, I, and, you know, maybe I could make the argument that something like, Chaliax in Pathfinder is makes a closer attempt towards something like that, um, but I don't know. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. No, there's there, there's bits and pieces of it, right? Like, I mean, to your point, right? Like, you know, D and D also occasionally tries to like borrow from like 
samurai and the old west, right? Like, um, and like maybe the Victorian era, right? Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I also think that it borrows a lot from, you know, like Greek stuff. And like the Iliad is like the seventh century BC. Like this kind of I don't think it predates the Roman Empire, right? When is when did Romulus and Remus found Rome? So yeah, so the founding of Rome is seven hundred and fifty three BC, right? Which is right around when the Iliad comes out. Um and uh and so I think that like that kind of I don't know, that the, there's 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 something there, right? Um but yeah. I'm surprised that you're not a you're not a Roman you're not a Roman Empire boy. Uh, I went through like I think my Rome phase happened before I cared enough to like actually learn um, about this kind of thing, right? Because like sure. my Rome phase largely happened while I was playing Rome Total War One when I was like a little too young to actually like <laughs> care about like reading about it. Um, yeah, high school was like a big Napoleonic phase for me, um, and I used to know a lot about the Napoleonic Wars, um, but like my interest up until like relatively recently was mostly in kind of like individual or not like technical aspects of warfare right like i knew mm -hmm. a lot about like napoleonic era artillery because i found that fascinating i did not care as much about like you know the napoleonic kind of like napoleon as an, emp an emperor who spat on the divine rate of kings is like a political thing right like i only know that stuff because it was part of like my history classes not because it was the personal uh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Napoleon is actually sort of a blind spot for me, to be honest with you. There's some stuff I know about Napoleon because I know a lot about ships from that era. Shout out to the HMS uh, HMS Victory and it's <laughs> it's 44 ships, boys. <laughs> There's a <laughs> that's a that's a little joke for the chat. They'll understand. <laughs> but uh, but like Napoleon itself, it is. Uh, is yeah, I never like got into or I like to be honest, I probably couldn't explain to you like the most important aspects of Napoleon's reign or whatever. Um, but like I could do that for the Civil War, right? Or World War II, because right. I know a lot about those two. This is part of why I get so frustrated with um, you know, like when I was talking about the the lost cause a couple of weeks ago, right? Like because I know a lot about Civil War history, right. I happen to know a lot about the bad history that goes into it, right? Yeah. Or because I know a lot about World War II history, I understand the bad history that goes into people talking about the fucking atomic bombs coming out of, you know, um, Oppenheimer. Yeah, no, um, there was uh, an interesting thing I, I had heard recently about that that I need to go follow up on. Um, somebody brought up that, like, you know, like the Japanese estimates were, like, like you know of their own kind of like deaths were like in like the like were, were were like horrendously high as well um which you know kind of like also puts like you know in terms of like gaming out like what the uh what, what the actual end state of that would be um uh but yeah no it's uh i agree with you um like i like <laughs> i i know a little bit more politically about like you know the um the kind of like stuff that happened like something i found out recently is uh, um, somebody was making like a joke about Wisconsin. Apparently, like a lot of like the fundamental eugenic stuff that gets adopted by the Nazis comes out of like Wisconsin. Um, like there's some guy. <laughs> <laughs> there's like some guy. Oh yeah, like this is a big thing, right? Uh, people really misunderstand the nature of. I mean, this is pretty brutal, but pretty misunderstand the nature of the Holocaust. Um, like if you were to a if you ask somebody when does the genocide 
of of the Jews begin, right? Um, most people would probably say something like 1933 because they know that's when Hitler rises to power. But Hitler, in a technical sense, wasn't genocidal until essentially 1941. Um, there's actually a movie about this that is pretty good on HBO called Conspiracy, where they kind of give up on, um, you know, they kind of give up on non-extermination they, they were gonna of, like move them to Zimbabwe uh, or something like that like yeah that was a like big a thing uh, attack on titan the anime um which is you know it's it's its own weirdness but yeah like there, there, there were relocation plans um also just kind of like the genesis of a lot of this stuff right like um I think a lot of people don't know about like state United States right you, are you familiar with the case Buck v Bell is it the one where, well, because I know that there's a bunch of sterilizations that happen yeah, ster in the early 19th. Yeah, this is where sterilization of the mentally infirm is, is held to be constitutional. And the quote that comes out of it from Just for, uh, Justice uh, Holmes is uh, three generations of imbeciles is enough or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Woof. Yeah, I mean that was too slow for the for the Nazis. They did actually uh sterilize quite a lot of the oh, yeah. quite a lot of the Jews, but part of it is just like doing these things on industrial scales is really tough, really yeah. hard. Um but anyway, I would recommend that movie Conspiracy from HBO. Uh it's got my boy Stanley Tucci in there, which is really all. It's like Kenneth Branagh and Stan Stanley Tucci, but it is the meeting of the high end of sort of like Nazi intelligentsia where they literally just are sitting down and talking through okay what is our plan how are we going to do this how you know like how are we going to end up accomplishing this this kind of goal and i think that's like that's a version of history that people don't tell a lot right which is the 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 process right um and uh yeah anyway rough stuff yeah all right well with with that happy note oh uh, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know <laughs> If you'd like to email us about anything you talked about on this podcast from uh, Australia to uh, uh, eugenics, you can email us at somedriftfulgames at gmail.com or podcast at somedriftfulgames.com. You can uh, uh, follow us or uh, watch these uh, on twitch.tv and YouTube um, uh, live. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash somedriftfulgames and youtube.com slash at somedriftfulgames. Um, uh, rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you'd like to promote? You know, nothing besides Australia, which is out now on PC. Go play it. Have fun. Yeah. All right. Well, in that <laughs> case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>